And uh, today's message is part three in our series entitled Jonah. Jonah has been referred to as the reluctant prophet, the runaway prophet, and also the obstinate prophet. And each of those titles or phrases used to describe Jonah are completely accurate. They're an accurate portrayal of Jonah's attitude uh, and his behavior. Accurate portrayals of Jonah's uh, behavior and his attitude. God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, obviously to preach righteousness, uh, but Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is an enemy of Israel. And like Jonah, when it comes to God's plans, we, we tend to come up with excuses or we'll come up or we'll just simply procrastinate or we'll just flat out refuse to do what God's called us to do. And here's why we do this, because it rubs our flesh wrong. So Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he decides, I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Tarshish. And he boards a ship heading that way. Of course, he encounters the storm. And uh, like Jonah, when we become obstinate to God's plans and his purposes, we are going to encounter storms in our lives. You know, there's, I look at it this way. Why, why go looking for a storm when storms are going to come, right? Why create a storm when there shouldn't be a need for a storm? But if we become obstinate, to God's plans and purposes, or we just simply are, are fleeing from God, we're going to encounter storms, and they're storms of our, of our own making. Of course, we know the storm is tearing the ship apart, and the, the sailors are fearing for their lives, and they're not a godly bunch. They're an ungodly bunch. They're pagans. They do what they know what's best. They can at least do this. They discern that the storm is supernatural, which it is, and so they say, well, let's just call on our gods. Each and every one will call on our own gods, and then we'll cast lots, and we'll determine who the guilty party is, who's, who's responsible for this calamity we're experiencing. And, of course, the lot falls onto Jonah. Jonah, of course, is confronted, and he admits that he's fleeing from God, and the storm that the ship has encountered is due to his, his disobedience. And when you look at this, you think, again, it's admirable of Jonah to say, just throw me overboard. It's not. It's not admirable whatsoever. Uh, the right thing would be this. Uh, Captain, turn the ship around. Let's head back to port. And based on the type of storm we're seeing... The, the captain would have said, gladly. But instead, he says, just throw me overboard. What's Jonah saying? I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm digging my heels. You can send storm after storm, but I'm not going where you called me to go. Again, why? Because it rubs his flesh wrong. So what happens is, of course, the sailors throw Jonah overboard as he's requested, and God sends the great fish, swallows Jonah. And in the darkness and that loneliness of being in that fish, Jonah likens it to the grave. You know, being as far away from God as possible. And so Jonah understands, listen, this is not what I signed up for. This is not going in the right direction, the right place. This is what I, wasn't, what I was looking for. And so he realizes his disobedience, where it's leading, and he decides to repent. Probably a good idea. And Jonah repents, and of course God restores Jonah's calling. And uh, like Jonah, we've all done this. We've all messed up. Uh, we've all been disobedient. We've all had times in our lives where we've slid away from God, backslide, we like to say. Uh, we just aren't pursuing God as we should. But there's always a path when we come to that place in life where we can always get back to the presence of God. Always come back to that place of where uh, God has planned for us to be. I mentioned this verse last week, Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And if you want to memorize a good Bible verse, there is one for you. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God will is willing to show us grace. But there, there's some caveats. There's some, there's some things that to consider when it comes to God's grace. When it comes back to coming to God or coming back to God, we've got to consider this. Because sometimes 
will take this plan. I get off course, I'm going my own direction, I'm going my own way, but I'll come back when I feel like I'm ready to come back, or I'm going to come back at the last moment. You, you are playing spiritual roulette right there. That is a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Consider this, please. <clears throat> so I know it's right to repent, I know it's right to come back to God, but I'm going to wait. Think about what James says in John, James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. So knowing you should repent and you refuse to repent, to do so is sin. Some of you may say, well, I'm going to push back on that and say, well, Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls, out, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> let, let, me, let me just real quickly do this. Theologically speaking, you can't take one verse so that it cancels out another one. You have to take the totality of Scripture. How does this line up with Scripture? If you have a Scripture that seems to be opposed to another one, it's not opposed, it's, it's only up here. But you don't understand how that works together. I'm just going to wait to the last moment, and, you know, I'll get back to God. He'll, he's patient with me. He's God, God of grace. He's God, a God of mercy. I, I don't think you understand the nature of God. I don't think you understand the grace of God, if that's your attitude towards it. So if you know you're away from God, but you're stubbornly refusing to repent, thinking you'll wait to the last moment. Again, that, isn't that premeditated disobedience? I don't see how that lines up with the grace of God. God doesn't give you grace to have, do premeditated sin and disobedience. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about grace and those moments where, where uh, we come to God, we experience his grace. Look, uh, Hebrews 12, 24, or 28, excuse me. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So the writer of Hebrews says when we are recipients of grace, we should do so with reverence and fear. Grace is not a license to free, flee from God, by the way, church. It's really a dangerous position. So when it comes to fleeing from God, remember this. Don't, don't try to avoid his plans thinking, you know, I'll come back tomorrow because, you know what, tomorrow may never come. So God is showing us grace today. Please respond to his grace today. So Jonah repents from within the great fish and commits himself to God's plan, and he goes to Nineveh. That's kind of where we're going to pick it up here this morning. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How does, how does the city respond? It's not, it's not a great message. It doesn't have a lot of compassion in it, for sure. Just cut and dry, black and white. God sent me here to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. How do the people respond to such enthusiastic preaching? So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, now check this out, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry out mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. I don't know what you call this, but I call this revival. This is a great example of revival. But this is revival. True revival results in this. 
true repentance and brokenness over sin. True repentance and brokenness over our sin. True revival results in people turning to God in prayer and fasting. So when people become aware of how far they've drifted away from God and how far they've went away from his righteousness, and they have that moment of realization, the grace of God motivates that human soul to return to God with desperation, and that's revival. See, church, we need revival in our church. We need revival in our community. We, we need revival in our nation. And while repentance is at the heart of revival, conviction is at the heart of repentance. We'll give you an example of this. So a person won't repent unless they feel convicted of their sin. If there's no guilt of their sin, then there will be no conviction and there will be no repentance. So that's why we need to experience a move of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, if you look at it in John chapter 16, one of his jobs is to bring conviction into the world. So there could be a place, just like here with Jonah, and you can say, well, these people are reprobate. No, they're sinners. Remember that. They're just sinners. And they've gotten far, far away from the righteousness of God. And Jonah goes in and, and, and preaches a half-baked message, and they feel conviction. Why? Is because Jonah's such a great speaker? No. It's because the, God was moving in their hearts before, bringing conviction into their lives. That, that's something we miss when it comes to revival. There's repentance, but there's conviction that, that's prior to that. So conviction, we need conviction. We should pray for a convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our nation today. And that's why we need to experience that move of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit brings conviction. So we need a move that God involves conviction over our sin, which prompts us to repent and to move closer to God. Listen to the words of the psalmist, and this is from the Message Bible. This is Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Listen to his prayer. It's an incredible prayer. Consider it for yourself. Come to God and say this, investigate my life. Now right there, some of us already say, nope, no thank you. You Whether you ask for it or not, he's going to do it. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine, test and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong, then guide me on the path to eternal life. And most of us dare not ask the Holy Spirit to do that, fearing what we might learn about ourselves. But that's exactly what we feel. You know, to hear those words, to see those words, if that, if that was like, uh, if there's a little uh, in your spirit, that's a good thing. That's called conviction. Welcome conviction in your life. Don't ever run from conviction. But if we ask the Holy Spirit to examine us and we experience conviction, conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to grace. Don't we need more grace in our lives? The answer is yes, of course we do. We need to pray and intercede on the behalf of our community, on our nation, asking God to bring conviction, conviction into the life of this nation. Our nation is just spiraling downward out of control more and more. Uh, spiritually and morally, they're spiraling out of control, and guess what? It's going to continue to do so until there is some conviction. It's amazing we've become just like Nineveh. Our nation, morally and spiritually, has become like Nineveh. I know each of us can be disgusted, can be disgusted with what we see on TV, disgusted what we see in our community, disgusted with the attitudes and the behaviors of our nation, and we can get a sense of, of Jonah's indignation. 
I don't want to go to those people. Those people are our enemies, and they're just unrighteous people. But we can't ignore the moral condition of the nation, and we surely can't ignore the condition, the spiritual condition of the church. If we ignore this, guess what, church? We're going to end up in the belly of a great fish. See, Nineveh isn't ever going to come to us. We've got to go to Nineveh. And when Jonah went to Nineveh and preached the righteousness of God, the inhabitants responded with repentance, and again, that's revival. Jonah 3, 5, again, just the example. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And I think that's somewhere where a lot of us in our community stop right there. They believe God, praise God. No, it goes on. Listen to what he says. Because they believed God, what they did, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The city believed Jonah's message was from God, and they followed it by responding with repentance. See, people say this, I believe in God, and they live apart from his word, only to only show this, away from God's word, away from his plans, only to show that their belief is very shallow. That's why Jesus said this, and Jesus mentions this in the Gospels, in each of the Gospels, to the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So Nineveh believed the message of Jonah was from God. They knew they were guilty of their sin. The city responds with repentance, and they seek after God. When Jonah saw the repentance of Nineveh, and God shows them grace. So if you feel guilt over your sin, again, that is a good thing. It means this, that your conscience hasn't been hardened by sin. If you feel guilt, see, guilt is a very different term than shame. Guilt has responsibility and ownership. Guilt is, is something you should welcome in your life. It leads, to, it leads to conviction and repentance. If you don't believe so, think back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, how they responded to the presence of God. The couple felt conviction over their sin, but rather turning to God in repentance, what do they do? They hide themselves from God in shame. If they would have confronted their guilt and said, we are guilty of our sin and come to God, it might be just a different process. We just will never know. So guilt and shame aren't the same. Guilt means we recognize our sin, take responsibility for our sin. Shame causes us always to hide, to flee, and we'll flee further and further in shame from the grace of God. Shame will lie to you and tell you that God wants nothing to do with you. You're a reprobate. You've made a mistake. He doesn't want anything to do with you. You're filthy. Conviction says this, I'm a sinner, I need God, and because I need him, I need his grace. Completely different. Nineveh responded to the guilt of their sin with repentance, and God shows his grace. Jonah 3.10, then God saw their works. See, they believed, but God saw their works, saw that their belief was genuine. God saw their works and that they had turned from their evil, from their evil way. So God then relents when he sees that. If we would have stopped that belief, I don't think we would have been, God would have been convinced of the repentance. But God saw their works, what they were doing, how they believed the message was for God. They believed they were guilty. They repent, and God sees what they do, how they respond in repentance. And then God relents from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. See, the Bible says God saw their works. They had turned from their evil ways, and again, that's repentance. If you, don't, if you don't believe that, think about how this lines up in the New Testament. Matthew 3, 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
If you want to experience grace in your situation, turn away from your sin. If you want to experience grace in your situation, turn back to God. Hey, if you're not following God's plan and purpose for your life, correct your course. Change course. Go back to what he's called you to do and experience grace because that's repentance. When, whenever there's a repentant heart, there will always be grace. Nineveh was godless. It was wicked. Even though God was willing to cause its collapse if the city failed to repent, but they didn't. God shows them grace. Jonah wants nothing to do with this. Jonah has a completely different attitude towards Nineveh. Jonah knows God isn't sending him there to Nineveh to condemn the city. Jonah is being sent there to bring conviction or bring a message of conviction, not in hopes that the city will turn away from God further and be destroyed. God, Jonah knows this. God is sending me there to preach a message so they'll repent. And that's exactly what he says at the end of the chapter. I, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to send me and you would save them. I knew you are a God that's gracious and full of mercy. That you'll, I'll preach the message and they'll get saved and you'll relent. Jonah was mad. Mad. I know we, we say this. If I said this where we're most of us are like Jonah, we would probably say, no, we're not. And this is where I want to challenge you this morning. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I know we may say this isn't true, but our actions will prove louder, clearer than our words. See, there are people in our community who aren't like us politically. They're not like us socially. They're not like us spiritually. We, we may have nothing in common with them, and that's okay. But there are Nineveh. See, like Jonah, it's easier to condemn. It's easier to ridicule. It's easy to oppose. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to demonize. And that's what we do, that is, is really to hide our callousness, to hide our callous inaction towards people. See, Nineveh won't turn to God, church. If we really think this world, this community is going to course correct, that it, this just, it's not going to happen. It is going to continue to go down in the gutter unless someone is sent from God to send them a message. Romans 10, 14, may I remind you, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And you'll say, well, people know about Jesus all over our community. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a difference about sharing a message that is just information or a message that brings conviction and has the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a complete different operation there. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Hey, by the way, you can go anytime and preach the gospel. Okay, just go do it. But as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We don't bring glad tidings of good things. We bring criticism. We bring a lot of negativity. If we refuse to reach our community, it is a death sentence to this church. Time is ticking. So if we refuse to reach our community, it will be a death sentence for this church and any church. Because God will raise up another church to reach the community. Because that's God's plan and his purpose. Some people are just fine with that. Let someone else raise them up. We're going to have church here together. Wow. Wow. If Jonah had refused to go to Nineveh, God would have said, fine, go to Spain, do whatever you want. But I'm going to raise up another prophet. And I'm going to reach that city. Because that city 
is re- it's, it's deserving of judgment, but I want to show them grace first. I want to give them an opportunity to rep- repent and turn to me. So if we refuse to reach out to our Nineveh, church, that's our loss. This is our loss. God will send someone else, and they'll reap the rewards. And if you say this, well, I'm not so much into rewards, then listen, may I remind you, the person who is handing out the rewards is Jesus. I, I think I'm ready to receive any reward, any honor, any privilege, any blessing he's going to bestow on me, don't you? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to show you why. Because in heaven, money is irrelevant. Remember, gold is pavement. <laughs> Education is irrelevant in heaven. Position is irrelevant in heaven. Status, stuff, it's all ir- irrelevant. You know what the most important thing is in heaven, and you should know this if you've been here very long? People. Souls. People who win people to Jesus will be the, have the greatest treasure in heaven. You know why? Because they're living and they're walking in eternity. See, some of us secretly have a Jonah mindset when it comes to Nineveh. Nineveh, quite frankly, can go to hell for all I care. Now, you say, I would never say that. We don't say it, but we, we do it. It might be a good thing if that whole thing just burned down. Let it all be destroyed. If Nineveh burns to the ground, God holds someone accountable. See, he's punished them for their sin. But there's a watchman out there that's going to be held accountable. Ezekiel talks about this, Ezekiel 33, and this is God speaking to Ezekiel, calling about his mission as a prophet. Son of God, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, and if you need any help with this, we're the watchmen, all of us, every one of us in here. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, he, and if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not heed the warning or take the warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. Go and preach the gospel. Share your testimony. Do all the things that you're called to do. If that person doesn't re- accept it, they reject it, then it's on them. It's not on you. But know this. Read the next verse. Let's skip on down to verse 6. But if... The watchman, each one, every one of us, sees the sword, and the sword is coming. Sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, any person, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Oof. See, when you signed up to be born again, when you signed up for the family of God, there, there came some conditions. You know, we say this, salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything. Cost you everything. It has to. Otherwise, steal your life. So like Jonah, we'll be held accountable for our handling of God's plan and purposes. If you have a righteous indignation towards sinful people, may I, may I suggest that you switch that around to something else and not ever have an indignation towards people? Ever. Well, Pastor, you don't know what they say, what they do. I'm very well aware of what they say and do. It's not your place, though. You can have all the indignation to sin that you want. You can have all the indignation towards the devil that you want. You get, don't get mad at lost people who are lost in sin. Don't become a Pharisee. See, have you forgotten out of what pit Jesus drug you out of? You say, well, I wasn't as bad as these people. So let me get this right then. So there is a scale of sin then, right? 
well, my sin is not as bad as your sin. So if I go to hell, I'm in a better place in hell than you are. No, it doesn't work that way. Sin is sin, and it will send you to hell. So whether you were a nice little religious person and you just never really got saved, or if you were just a flat-out, nasty, whatever, sinner, you're going to get the same judgment, and you're going to go to the same place. And Jesus saved you from that. So don't ever look with that type of indignation towards someone. Sinners sin, and they will sin egregiously. Unless someone goes to them and shares God's plan for their lives. They will continue to sin. Nineveh will plunge deeper and deeper into its depravity. When Jesus walked this earth, where did he go? Did he go to the righteous? Did he go to the church? Did he go to the Pharisees and Sadducees? I, don't, I haven't come to, they're not sick. They don't need the doctor. I need to go to the sick. I need to go to the depraved. I need to go to the prostitutes. I need to go to the tax collectors. I need to call them to repentance. Why? Because they need grace. Why aren't we being the hands and feet and the heart and the voice of Jesus in our Nineveh? See, Jonah preaches the message of God called him to preach, and again, he doesn't do it with a lot of zest and a lot of love and just kind of just lays it out. But the city still responds in repentance. It just is amazing. It can just show that if we just give effort, just half an effort, what God can do. Revival takes place. The city was spared from judgment. And you would think that being a prophet, being a preacher, this man would be rejoicing. Thank God God saves the city. No, it's not the case. Jonah 4.1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. <laughs> and he became angry. Ever become angry with God? So he prayed to the Lord, said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from harm. Jonah knows, remember, God's not mean and nasty in the Old Testament, nice in the New Testament. If you ever buy that idea, this kind of convolutes that whole idea, doesn't it? God's always been a God of mercy and grace. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to him, is it right for you to be angry? Go to verse, jump down to verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, which are more than 100,000, 120,000 people, persons, who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much, life, and much livestock? See, Jonah was displeased with God because God was slow to anger, and he was abundant in loving kindness. And Jonah went to Nineveh to, Nineveh to do what God called him to do, but Jonah's obstinate the whole time. The whole entire time, he's obstinate. See, Jonah just didn't want to be in the belly of the fish anymore. That's all it came down to. This is not good for me. I'll do what God's called me to do, and I can go back home. Jonah's, let's just face it, he's a hypocrite. He's obstinate, he's a hypocrite, but God uses him to reach a lost city. After being in the belly of the great fish, you might think Jonah would change his mind towards people. Maybe he'd be, maybe he'd have in his own situation, have a little bit more grace and mercy with people, a greater appreciation for the mercy of God. No, he doesn't. And here's what's sad, many of us don't either. We've forgotten where we come from. We've forgotten what God saved us from. And some of us still can't get into our picture and our brains that this, I grew up in church, 
I never was part of anything, and I got saved. But you are just as guilty as a prostitute, a drug addict, anyone, a murderer. You may have a different view of things. But just understand God's view is different than yours. So what's sad is we lose sight of our own sinfulness. And many of us reading the story don't see any similarity between ourselves and Jonah, but we should. Let me, let me help. Who are our global enemies today? Well, we've got China, right? We have Russia, North Korea, Iran. There's some others. What if the Holy Spirit spoke to you this morning and said, I'm calling you to go to Tehran, to Iran, preach to get Jesus in that city? Now, you know this. If you know anything about Iran, especially right now, you do that, you're going to be killed. But let's say God calls you to do that because God called people to do that and still calls people to do this. And I'd say, what if God, seriously, what if God asked you to do that and 90% of you would lie and say, I'll do it? And the reason why you'll lie is this, because you know God's not going to call you there. You are pretty secure, pretty safe, pretty sure that God's not going to call me to go to Tehran and preach the gospel. So I can say yes, even though I wouldn't go. We say we'd go because we're sure God's not going to lead us there. So let's do this. God's called you to our Nineveh, to our community. Do you have the same attitude? Yes, I'll go. And if you say, yes, I'll go, then you don't have to wait for God to ask you, by the way, because he's already told you to go. Because Jesus has says, go, go. So while there are people in our community who are, they're not our enemies, they're not global enemies, they're not like, the, the, the Ninevites were to Israel. They're not like people in foreign countries who are opposed to us. We treat people in our community like they're our enemies. See, we aren't like Jonah who said, I'm not going to Nineveh and just heads in the opposite direction. No, no, we cover our opposition a little bit more. We're a little more dignified about our opposition to God. We're more diplomatic. We explain things to God. Well, I, I can't do this because, or it just doesn't fit in my situation. See, we spin tales that are so believable it convinces ourselves. But you'll never convince God. Here, here, here's a great one. I can't reach out to people on my job. So you mean you can't do something that is constitutionally protected? See, if, if, you, ever, if you want a good lawsuit, right now is the time to do it, by the way. The Supreme Court is stacked in your favor. See, you can have law, law policy never trumps law. And law can't Trump constitutional law. It's a protected right. If you don't believe this, look, look, think about gun control right now. You can talk and, and all kinds of stuff, but it's a constitutional right. And that's why you don't ever see any real movement, because it's a protected by the Constitution. Your religious liberties are protected by the Constitution. So the next time you're at a job and you say, well, I can't, don't let that be an excuse, because, so just be on law. Let's, let's just get down to, to bear, just right, right on where the rubber hits the road here. See, there's the right way to witness on your job and the wrong way. If you go on your job, you're like Jonah. 40 days, this place is going to burn down because you're all going to hell. You probably are going to get fired, and you should get fired. Okay, so that's not the way to handle it, right? Where are you going to go, heaven or hell? No answer, Hell. Mm, that, that's not the way you handle it. So I could lose my job if I share my faith to someone 
and I invite them to church. Again, policies, that's fine. Church, your, 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 your job can have all these policies. There's great ways to work around it, easy ways to work around it even. Plenty of ways you can accomplish God's call in your life without violating your, policy, your employer's policy. If you, can you form a friendship on your job? And if you say no, then you work in North Korea. Because you have the right to have friends on job. In most places, most normal places, they want camaraderie between their co-workers. They welcome it. Spend time with each other. Have friendships. Well, that's your end right there. Get rid of the excuses. You don't have any excuses. Unless you work for a state-controlled communist job who forbids you from exchanging information so that you can contact each other outside of work, you have every opportunity to share the gospel. I don't care what you say. It's only excuse. And just own it. Just own it. See, this is where we lose sight of our calling. And we make Jonah-type excuses. See, I I work with people all day, Pastor. You know, they're friendships, but... They don't live anywhere around me. All right, Jonah, let's work on this excuse. I can't reach out to this person because they live so far away from me. Uh, First of all, are you building the kingdom of God or the church? Believe this or not, I don't want you to build the church. See, unless God builds the house, we who labor, labor in vain. We build the kingdom of God. It's like missions. We give to missions, but we'll never see a, a return from those people, wherever we're ministering at, we're sending missionaries, those folks aren't going to come to Holt Assembly of God. And that's okay. God will take care of us if we take care of his kingdom. But take care of his kingdom. Build his kingdom, God will build his church. Well, I live somewhere and very distant from my co-worker, as a rule of thumb, and this is like, like church growth 101, they teach you this. A rural community has a larger footprint than a church that is in a, an urban setting. So like New York City, if you have a church, your footprint is very small. Why? Because people stack upon people. You go in a very small geographical area, and you have thousands of people. We have 3,000, almost 4,000 people in our entire zip code. Our footprint is very large. Rural, rural churches by rural have 45 minutes to an hour circle around them. Everyone in our community, we know this. Hey, there's a place to go to. Where is it? It's about 45 minutes away. Everything's 45 minutes away. Have you noticed that? Everywhere you go around here, it's 45 minutes to get something. If people will drive 45 minutes to go to something to eat, go to work, go shopping, go entertainment, why do you have not the faith to believe they won't drive 45 minutes to go to church? Some people already drive 30 minutes to get here. Did you know that? It's not a big deal. You do it every day. Well, this is our thinking. These people live in Fort Walton Beach, Niceville, whatever. They're not going to go to church and hold. Who made you Holy Spirit? If you've established a relationship with the person and you've led that person to Christ, and then you know, they will drive to go to church with you. If they get tired of driving, that's okay. We can find them a church. There's plenty of churches where we can send those people to. But don't let this be an excuse like Jonah. At least Jonah's excuse is a little bit more believable. They're my enemies. They want to kill me. Why do I want to share Jesus with them? It's not the right excuse. If someone says they live too far, we can find a place for them to worship. Build God's kingdom. Don't worry about the church. Jonah was honest. He just didn't want to go. 
we, like Jonah, don't want to go to Nineveh. Let's just be honest. See, we have excuses. Let's just get rid of all the excuses and just get down to it. We don't want to go. I'm tired. I work. We all work. We all have 40, we all, we all have 24 hours in a day. Now, how we handle it is completely different. When's the last time? Here's how I can prove it. This is really easy to prove. We don't like to go to Nineveh, and here's why. When's the last time we brought anyone to church? When's the last time we invited anyone to church? When is the last time we led someone to Jesus? When is the last time we saw someone far away from God and we were just so compelled because we saw that they're heading down the wrong direction, they're like Jonah, they're going far, far away from God, and we love them, we still feel so compelled to have a conversation with them? When's the last time? When's the last time someone came up, you're going through something, and they said, pray for me, you just grabbed their hand right there and prayed? At least that's a start. Some of you can say, all right, I did that. Well, good, then. If you've done that, then you can, you can lead that, a person to Christ. It's not real hard. Well, what if they reject me? Who cares that they reject you? It's not about you. Show some love and some compassion. You'll be amazed at how far it will go. See, there are people who are dangerously away from God, and God has sent you to them. He's put them there. You're Nineveh. They're right there. God's not sending anyone else. He's sending you. Remember this, each and every one of us in here, if you are born again, you belong to Jesus. You've been redeemed by his blood. You belong to him. You are an ambassador of Christ. It's not just the pastor, every one of us, ambassadors of Christ. You represent Jesus in your home, on your job, wherever you're at, wherever there are people, you represent Christ. We're in Nineveh with great frequency. We walk through the city, we spend time in the city, we spend money there, we work in the city, but we never share the message that people need to hear. Jonah was angry with God. He resented God's plans because it involved showing people grace. I think we have a hard time right now showing grace. I don't want to show grace to that person. You know, they believe in abortion. They voted for Joe Biden for crying out loud. If that's the way you really feel, if it's more spiritual, then that's your audience. You should have more compassion for them. I'm not excusing Jonah's behavior or his attitude towards God, but at least Jonah has an argument. Where's our argument? We aren't comparing apples to apples when we compare Jonah to ourselves. Church, it just comes down to this, and I'm, we just simply lack compassion. I think a lot of it has to do with the day that we're living in. And I think we conform so easily to the environment that we live in right now. You say, well, I have compassion, then prove it. Not in words. Hey, listen, let's hold each other accountable like Jonah was held, or like the people of Nineveh was held accountable. We believe, we have all the theology, well, the proof is in the pudding. Actions speak louder. God knew Nineveh repented when they turned from their ways and turned to God. See, we don't care. We care in our theology. We care in our theory. But we are poor at executing care. And the greatest need people have is Jesus. Of all four compassionate uh, uh, needs and all that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's a travesty if we feed people and we don't share Jesus. Let's just send them to hell with a full belly. See, we're so busy with our own lives, we forget there are people around us every day that are going to split hell wide open, unless they repent. Everyone's tired. Everyone's busy. Everyone has something to do. No person in here, no person in any church in our community is more busier than anyone else. Because all we're doing is beginning to show excuses. See, God's looking for faithfulness, not excuses. God won't force you to go to Nineveh. He won't. He'll just raise up another church. He'll raise up someone else. 
And again, that's your reward. See, in our absence, God will raise up for someone, and he will send someone. Because why? There are people in our community who need Jesus. God didn't establish this church in this community so that people could just come to church. Church was founded to be the church in the community, and if we fail to be the church, God will raise up someone in our place. Someone else who wants to reach Nineveh. If we fear that we've, I fear this, that we've lost our sensitivity towards God, and that's why we've lost our sensitivity towards lost people. I fear we've lost our compassion for lost people in our community, and we're more comfortable with our excuses than just going out and being the church. 